Hi everyone, my name is Ming and I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. For the past few weeks, we've been going through some big questions. Questions you and your friends submitted. We've looked at our purpose in life, we've looked at death, and we've even looked at whether or not God is just a figment of our imaginations. If you missed out, you can catch up on those later on our YouTube channel. But today, we're looking at the question of religion. Aren't all religions the same? Aren't they all just heading in the same direction and in the end doing the same sort of thing? We had a number of questions on this topic and I'm so glad to speak about it today because I grew up wrestling with this exact topic. At first, for my family, it was Buddhism. I grew up going to the temple, praying for an hour or two, kneeling on mats. I had no idea what was going on. It was just what we did. Then later on, as a teenager, my family started being Taoist. We lit incense every week, bowed down to shrines. I was even a vegetarian for about eight years. Which, by the way, being a vegetarian isn't as hard as it sounds. My family was incredibly devoted, incredibly sincere. It was hard to doubt them. When I became a Christian, I remember the first conversation I had with my sister. I was excited. I wanted her to learn about who Jesus was and be excited the same way I was about Jesus. But I'll never forget her reply. She said to me, Oh yeah, that's nice, but they're like all the same anyway, aren't they? For many in the society we live in, all religions are the same. They're all just doing the same thing, all trying to get to God or salvation or heaven in some shape or form. And when anyone claims that their way is the right and only way, at best, it's just a massive social blunder. And at worst, it's just downright dangerous. But it's not just our society that thinks that. Sometimes we Christians really struggle with the idea that Jesus might be the only way. I think a big part of the reason we all struggle is because we've all got friends, people we care about and respect massively who are Muslim or Buddhist or atheist, and they're lovely people, possibly very devout people, very genuine, very sincere. And it's easy, even as a Christian, to look at them and think, surely these people can't all be wrong. It's almost like the compassion in your heart would cause you to wonder, can all these people really be wrong? It sounds almost ridiculous that a Christian would claim Jesus is the only way. It sounds egotistical. Like, what are we as Christians? Small-minded, self-absorbed egomaniacs? We've got to admit, maybe we are. So, what I want to do today is, is take a bunch of objections and questions and look at them one at a time. I've based this talk on real conversations I've had with others, and I hope they help us unpack what the God of the Bible, the true and living God, has to say about our objections. So, aren't all religions the same? The first objection is, who cares? There's lots of Kiwis who don't care. They don't care about religion, they don't care about God, and when you ask them to submit a big question about life, God, or this world, they say, no thanks, I'm not religious. There are tons of Kiwis who care more about sport, video games, dating, their job. We don't care about God, let alone religion, because what are we doing? More caught up in finding purpose and happiness, enjoying life, getting busy, trying to shape up an existence that makes us feel good. And so many of us think that this question is totally irrelevant for our lives. This is one area we often trip up because the things we're pursuing in life speak massively about our religion. Let's call this 
a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. It's how we explain our existence, our purpose, our expectations. It explains the why behind what we're doing. And the reality is we're all pursuing something. And if it isn't God himself, then it's something else we've made to be God. The Bible describes this as an idol, something we've elevated to the status of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God warns Israel about what it will be like to be exiled among the nations of the world. And it says in verse 28, There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see, hear, eat, or smell. For some people, they really do worship little wooden statues. You might have seen some of them at a Thai restaurant. For me, growing up, my mom would get me to wear a, a little green Buddha necklace for protection. For some, an idol really is a wooden statue, a shrine or a piece of jewelry. But many of us don't worship little statues, do we? We worship the nameplate on the office door that says, Career Progression. Or the web app that shows my bank balance. It's the number of likes and subscribes on my latest post. An idol, a man-made god, could be wealth, status, popularity, even family. What you are pursuing speaks massively about your worldview. And the problem is, we often don't realize we've made an idol of something. We don't realize, ultimately, we're living a lie. Romans chapter 1 talks a bit about this in verse 25, and it says this, All people exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and created what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you're exempt from this topic. Secularism, agnosticism, atheism is just as much a worldview as Christianity, Hinduism or Buddhism and so on. On the other hand, there are many who do pause and think. This whole search for happiness and purpose through shaping up my own life isn't working. So, they go on a journey to find God. And I think those who get there are wise. If you're hunting for God, you're wise to want God and seek ultimate purpose in Him. The Bible describes this as the fear of the Lord. Proverbs, this big, big book of wisdom in the Bible, starts off by saying in chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, the problem is, for many, when they go on that journey to find God, this quest leaves us troubled. Because when you look for God, look at the world around us, you find many different ways. There are so many worldviews, so many religions, pathways, so many options, and they're all radically different. Don't be fooled into thinking, well, they're all just basically the same thing. No, they're massively different. Islam would say there's only one God, and to find Him, you basically follow a certain set of rules, hoping to meet, hoping at the end of it all, you'll meet Allah on a good day. Hindus believe there are thousands of God, and, and you are to work doing ceremonies, meditation, and a bunch of other stuff to appease them all and build up enough good karma so that in your next life, your next reincarnation cycle, you'll find yourself in a better place. Buddhists believe there is no God, and you don't really exist either. So the point of our existence is to meditate and work really hard to remove any desires and lose your sense of self so you realize you don't exist and then become one again with the universe. They're all 
very different paths, aren't they? They're not similar, they're radically different. A few years ago, I was meeting up with a guy who was exploring Christianity with me. And a few weeks in, he said to me, I want to find out about other religions, like Islam or Buddhism. And I said, yeah, I think it would be a good idea to look into them and weigh up their claims. And he said, yeah, I guess all religions are basically the same thing anyway. I said, no. Sure, all religions are trying to think about ultimate reality. They're the same in that regard. But they answer the questions about ultimate reality in profoundly different ways. They're not the same. And so, what do we do about it? When someone like the guy I was meeting up with goes on a journey, tries to find God, seek ultimate reality, when you find all these different answers, what are we supposed to do with them all? Many people end up troubled or confused, and in our confusion, many of us decide to do this. Invent our own. In the year 2000, a number of people thought it would be a good idea to try and rig the 2001 census. Not only in New Zealand, but Australia and the UK as well, they heard that if at least 8,000 people registered the same religion, it would be given official recognition in the census. So, they sent out a bunch of chain emails before social media existed to convince the world to list their religion as Jedi. The reason? Do it because you love Star Wars or just to annoy people. The point is, adding another religion to their already crowded marketplace isn't going to cause any issues. And, well, all religions are the same anyway, right? And that's the story of how the Jedi religion got on the census form. Now, for you and me, as tempting as it would be to wave your hand and do Jedi mind tricks, we're not really tempted to bow down to the Jedi way. But how many of us make up our own way of life? Those times we say, I like to think of God as this, or I just can't believe in a God like that. Or we do a pick and mix picking what we like from the smorgasbord of world religions and mixing them all together into our own little unique combination. We love making our own religion. And for some reason, we think that's an appropriate thing to do. We see so much good in the different religions. We, we meet real and sincere people believing a bunch of different things. And so we think they can't all be wrong. They're just different ways to get to the same end. It's as if God is on top of a mountain and we're all at the bottom. We understand that we all need to get to God, but there are many different paths up the mountain, so it doesn't really matter which path you take. Some paths wrap around a bit, some go straight up. They're all different, but in the end, they all lead to God. I reckon this is the most common belief these days. It's the big easy way out. No one gets their feelings hurt that in the end, whatever path you take, Whatever religion you choose, it doesn't really matter. It's a pick-your-own-adventure. So when Christianity comes along and says, there's only one way, it feels really arrogant, small-minded. But can I put it to you? It's just as arrogant to assert that there are multiple ways to God. What really matters is what's true. And that's where Christianity is different. Every other religion is about finding your way to God. Christianity is about God finding us. See, if there's a mountain 
and God's on top, and we're at the bottom trying to find our way up, the Christian believes this, that God, the one and only God, has come down the mountain and said to all of us, those other paths are not going to work. Those other paths are just going in, in circles around the bottom. They might feel like they're going somewhere, but they're actually going nowhere. And then God says, he says, there's going to be a new path. And this is the only path that gets to the top, and then he creates that path. That's what the Christian believes. Now, some of you might object. You might be thinking, as some have said to me, that just sounds ridiculous. As if God would come down and say and do those things. But think with me for a minute. If there's a God, and He's all-powerful, He's the maker and sustainer of all things, and He cares deeply about what He's made, if there was a serious disconnect between Him and us, could He personally come and fix it? He could, right? But secondly, if He did do that, come down and fix the disconnect, would He then have the right to say, this is the only way back? There's no other way. He would, right? It's his creation, his solution, his eternity. Now, I've shared this concept with many friends, and a common objection I get is, yeah, sure, but don't all religions claim that their God has come to tell them the one special way? Well, actually, no, they don't. No other religion, no view of the world claims that their God has come personally in history, physically, verifiably, to actually tell them the way. Islam claims that an angel spoke to Muhammad over a period of 23 years or so, and he wrote down all those things in the form of the Quran. And there's no witnesses of the angel appearing to Muhammad. No one else saw it happen, no records of it happening in history, just Muhammad's word. Very different. Buddhism is, is based on a man called Buddha, who one night sat under a type of fig tree and meditated enough until he discovered for himself the Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Pathway to Enlightenment. No one else heard it or saw it, just Buddha. Very different again. None of the other major religions claim that God has come personally in history in a very public, verifiable way. Not even Judaism, and that's their whole point. They say, don't believe Jesus is God because we're still waiting for God to come. The claim of Christianity is that God has actually come and become one of us as a man. Jesus, the God-man. And it's as if he's, he's grabbed our shoulders, looked us in the eyes, and says very clearly, I'm your God, and I'm the only way. Come with me to John chapter 14, the passage we read earlier. The context of this passage is, is Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the night before he's crucified, on the night he's about to die. And he's speaking to them about his departure, trying to comfort them. They don't really know what's up, so they have a bunch of questions. Have a look with me on, at verse 8. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, Philip, I'm God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. I'm God the Son. And I'm standing right in front of you. I've come down from the top of the mountain. I'm right in your face. I'm God. 
And then look back at verse 5. Let's read it together. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does not mix his words, does he? He's saying, the way to go where I'm going is in me, with me, and through me. I'm not a way to God. I'm the way to God. And after speaking these words, the very next day, he goes to the cross where he actually makes the way possible. He dies with our sin, the thing disconnecting us from God, and he rises again from the dead to create this new and only way through putting our trust and lives in his hands. As I was preparing for this talk, I thought about explaining all the little details and differences between the other religions. But the reality is, the only way to actually get to God is through Jesus. Now, when we might still object and go, that's just ridiculous. I want to choose my own path. I think it's the most reasonable thing. How can you know for sure? How can you know all the lovely and sincere people that believe something else are wrong? These are great questions. But of all the things I wanted to talk about, the thing that convinces me the most is that God makes this path at great personal cost. God literally gives up His Son, His Son Jesus, to die and make that path possible and carry us up that path. A man called Aaron Ralston used to rock climb in the canyons of Utah in America. And one day, he was in an isolated spot no one visits, millions of miles from anyone. And as he was climbing down a rock ledge, he put his hand on a rock and a boulder fell on his right hand and trapped him. For five and a half days, he, he tried to pull out his right hand and he couldn't. For five and a half days, he yelled and screamed for help, but nothing. There was no one in this place. It was completely isolated. After five and a half days, he realized his only hope was something drastic. So he broke his forearm, snapped the bones, got out his pen knife, not even a sharp knife, a pen knife, and cut through his flesh, tore off his hand, and hiked out of there. It's a crazy story, isn't it? They even made a movie on it, 127 hours. You might have seen it. Aaron now does this motivational speaking tour where he goes around talking about making tough decisions. Now just imagine he's speaking at some conference, speaking about these five and a half days, I cut off my whole arm and, and so on. And a man comes up to him and says, Hey Aaron, I think I know that place where you got trapped. Oh yeah, says Aaron. Yeah, and the canyon with, with the boulder and the ledge, does it look like something like this? Yup, that's where I was, and, and that's the boulder, says Aaron. That's the boulder. Did you know, Aaron, if you just push the boulder like this, it actually rocks right off? Now, imagine Aaron Rolston's reaction. He'd be like, oh, what was I doing? Do you mean if I just pushed it that way, I wouldn't have had to cut my arm off? No, his reaction would have been, what do you think I spent five and a half days on? What do you think I did while I was stuck there? If I'm going to take such a drastic action of cutting my hand off, don't you think I'd have tried? Don't you think I'd have pushed it every way possible? I only cut off my hand because there was no other way. Now think with me about God. 
The Bible presents that God, in His deep love for us, sent His Son to die in our place. And the night before Jesus died, He says, with deep tears and anguish about what was facing Him, death. And Jesus says in Matthew 26, if there's any other way, take this from me. God is not like Aaron Ralston. His knowledge is perfect. He sees all and knows all. And his answer was, there's no other way. Do you think there could be if it took the death of God's only child to give us a way to be saved? Do you think there is any other way? Imagine fronting up before God and he asks you, why are you here unforgiven? And you say, I didn't think I needed to be forgiven. I've lived a pretty decent life. I've been a good dad, you know. I've kept down a job. I haven't murdered anyone. I even gave to charity once a year. And God goes, oh, is that all it took? Why'd I have my son die if that's all it took? The death of God's son, Jesus, points to the fact that there is only one way. It takes the death of Jesus in our place to provide a savior so we might be forgiven. Just being decent is not decent enough. Jesus is the only hope our world has. One common objection I get is, you can't really know that happened. You can't, you can't know for sure. And so they leave it at that. Last week, if you were with us, we saw some of the historically reliable nature of this man, Jesus. Even secular sources backing up his talk and his walk. There's great evidence for Jesus' death and resurrection. So much evidence that really, we must decide what we think about Jesus. The man who came, claimed to be God, died and rose again, and claimed to make the only way possible to God. It demands us to at least decide what we think about him. And we can know that much. He was either an absolute nutcase, living in self-delusion, thinking he was God, thinking he had come to save the world. And if that's the case, he doesn't really display the usual characteristics of a nutcase. Or he was a con man, attempting to deceive many and just trick everyone and mess with people. Though I don't know many con men who would be willing to die for something they know is just a lie they've made up. Or he actually was God come to us to give us the way. Now, if that's really what God has done, here's the next objection I get. If God's actually come down the mountain, stood in front of us historically, verifiably, and told us He's God and made a way for us, if it's so clear, why isn't everyone Christian? Why doesn't everyone see it so clearly? Why are there still so many religions and so many people pursuing all these different paths to God? Now, there's lots of reasons. But it all boils down to one. We're stubborn and wicked. At the core of humans, we've got issues. And the biggest issue we've got is an issue with God. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told what we can't do. We're so broken, a large chunk of us don't even want to know God anymore, let alone talk about Him. We like to think we know a better way. That our own ideas about life are better than what God has to say. I call it the, if I were God syndrome. I've lost count of the number of people I talk to these days when we're talking about this topic, who say something like, 
well, I like to think of it like this. Or, I think God should be more like that. Or, if I were God, I'd do it like this. I can only picture God just being there going, oh, is that all it took? For some reason, we've got this God complex where we like to think we've got the best idea. And we like to think we can come up with our own ideas rather than letting God be God and tell us the deal. Humans have always done this and we always will. And particularly, we'll construct whole worldviews and religions that affirm our own strength. That's the kind of religion we'll come up with. The DIY, do-it-yourself religions that make us feel good about ourselves. And we can get so caught up in our own ideas, so committed to our own ideas that we can sincerely believe our own ideas and draw others into. And many, many, many people can be very sincere, but be sincerely wrong. That's the devastation. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two paths, one wide and the other narrow. And many are on the wide path that leads to destruction. Jesus said it would be like this. So if you're shocked, don't be shocked. Be devastated like God is. God's heart breaks for the people on the wide path. That's why he came. That's why he gave up his son. Be devastated, but don't be shocked. See, there's two types of paths we can take. And I would say two types of religion or worldview that exist. There's the kind of religions, and I'll put them here on the left, that are DIY religions, the, the climb the mountain yourself to get to the top, to get to God religions. Islam's got its follow your five pillars. Buddhism's got its four noble truths and eightfold pathway. Hinduism's got its relentless ceremonies. Judaism's got its strict following of the Torah. Even atheism's got you fighting for your own survival. You have to be the fittest, the best, make your own destiny. They're all do-it-yourself, work hard, climb your way to the top worldviews. And they make us feel good about ourselves. It's about our strength, our ability. But the bottom line is, they're all just going in circles around the mountain, which is why God had to come down. So we've got the DIY kind of religion here. And then there's the religion where God does it for us. It's, it's do versus done. Climb versus carried. In God's kindness, He carries us up the mountain. We need His help. And there's only one that falls in this category. There's only one that clearly says, God has come to us to do it for us. And believe me, I'm the first to say, it's incredibly hard, incredibly humbling to admit that I can't climb the mountain myself. That, that maybe I don't know what's best. Christianity stands here alone, where God actually comes to us, told us it's not about us, not about our own strength or efforts, but actually asks us to, to hold His hand while He pulls us up. He puts out His hand and says to everyone, says to all of us, you want to come? I'm the way. Put your trust in the life I've lived on your behalf, the death I died in your place. Put your trust in me, says Jesus and you'll find and be with God. I recently read some of Stephen Batchelor's translation of the Buddhist scriptures. 
And this is what is said to be Buddha's final words to a group of monk followers. This is the last message he wanted to leave his followers. Strive unceasingly. A classic DIY religion line. Work and keep climbing until the very end. And then we come to Jesus' final words before his death. It is finished. There's a clear line that separates these two categories of religion. And that line is the difference between do and done. This is the great joy and freedom we have as Christians. It's the freedom and peace we receive knowing that in Jesus, it is finished. Amongst all the different religions of the world, worldviews people have, God, He comes down to us, cuts through all that, and offers us the way to truth and life. Jesus dies in our place and offers us life forever. What incredible news this is! To think that God loved His creation so much that despite our messiness, our confusion, and even rejection of Him, He doesn't leave us stuck. No, He gives us a way at great personal cost to Himself. All religions are not the same. Only Jesus saves. The question for all of us today is, who are we going to trust with our future? Ourselves? Continue to struggle and strive to be good enough? To make enough of life that you hope it's good enough? Hope you are good enough for God? Or will you trust the one who, who came to earth to carry you and me through death, the one who died for us so we could be forgiven and have life that lasts forever? Can I encourage you today? Stop struggling on your own and entrust your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your Son, Jesus, you have come to us. That in all of our efforts and our confusion and all the different paths we've made up, that you have given us a way. You have revealed us the truth. And that in your Son, Jesus, we receive incredible grace, freedom and peace, knowing that, that you've pulled us up. That it's not about our works, our efforts, and the many times that we have fallen short. You have shown great mercy and kindness and offered us a way. Might we take hold of this? Might we trust in your son Jesus above all else and put our lives in his hands? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.